I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the uh, latest edition of the, the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm joined by a regular guest, Gavin Buckland, and uh, Matt Jones also with us um, today. We'd like to have him back. Um, <laughs> it's not like uh, we haven't got much to talk about. Um, it's been, a, shall we say, uh, an eventful uh, week uh, off the pitch. And obviously, we've got that huge home game against Southampton uh, on Saturday with both uh, passionate coach welcome um, promised before kickoff and... Um, planned process um, after the final whistle. So there's plenty to get our teeth stuck into, as well as obviously Frank Lampard's uh, press conference, which uh, took place earlier this afternoon. But before we even go to that, I think we've got to start with the owner, Farhad Mashiri's um, interview, latest chat with um, his old pal, um, um, Jim White. Um, um, less than a year after he said that he was going to knock the, the, the chats with uh, Jim on the head, he, he's, he's back on um, talk sport, um, speak to him. And as the Echo understands, without any prior knowledge from anybody at the club, um, Gav, when, when you heard the, the owner's comments, when you heard the, the interview, I mean, how, how did you react? Um, not surprised, really. It was, my, my reaction was more probably sort of emotional when I found out that far had been on with Jim White. You really can guess the rest then, can't you? Really, you don't, you don't really have to see the content. Um, it was, you know, he said, I think he said, what was it, 12 months ago, two years ago, he said he wouldn't be on talk sports anymore. Um, That's in a year and, ago, yeah. Yeah, and he's just seen that. He's just, no, not again. And also as well, the fact that, you know, as you said, Chris, from your understanding, it wasn't with, you know, with, with knowledge, prior knowledge of the club, yes. which leaves Farhad and, and therefore the club exposed even more. And at a time when Farhad is trying to sort of get everybody together, you know, unity is important. He's doing stuff nationally without the club's knowledge. Yeah. And even everyone. And so that, that, was the, that was the disappointing thing for me. And as everybody said since after the interview, you can see where Everton's problems are, can't you? Really. It's in the interview, isn't it? It's all, all the clues are there in the interview. And, and I think that I think it was just sad, really, that what, what, why it's happened and the, and the medium. Because if I was in the club's communications department, I'd be banging my head against the wall, to be honest with you. Um, Matt, I mean, it was thanks to you. You gave us a heads up just beforehand that it that it was all happening, and it was uh, we were straight into it. Uh, I mean, what, what did you what did you take from it all? It was just um, it just sort of fed into this this growing feeling that I've got that Everton are just becoming a, a little bit of a circus, and the whole thing and, and all that's gone on this week is sort of is a bit of a throwback to me to when clubs like West Ham and. Newcastle and, and Sunderland were in this, these sorts of plights. And, you know, back then when we were a solid sort of mid-table club, you sort of look on from, from the outside 
and you go, what on earth is going on there? You know, how, how, how can you have an owner so out of touch? How can you have so many bad decisions being made? How can this all be going so badly wrong when, when everyone should be having the right intentions and should be unified? And it just feels, it feels like it, it's fed into it. Um, I thought, I thought the whole thing was, was quite embarrassing on, on, on TalkSport and Farhad, Farhad Mashiri, to be honest. And um, not only going back on his word to speak to, to well, to not speak to, to Jim White and TalkSport, but even the, the manner of the interview, you know, it, you know, I listened to the podcast in the week and it, it sounded like what was going on in the background in his house was um, was less, no, was more noisy than, than Wheelow's house when he was getting his decorating done. <laughs> you know, he had... You had, you had uh, either Tiger playing in, at the start of it. You had another one bites the dust playing in the background for the, for the second half of the interview. Yeah. It just felt like very slapstick, very rushed. And I think at a time where, listen, I don't think anyone wants him to, to go on talk sports and, and do um, statements like that. I think a lot of people look at the open letter as well and would think maybe that's not the best way to, to go about it. I think probably there's, there's a happy medium somewhere in between where he, he does things honestly and professionally. But if you are going to go on talk sport, don't do it with music blaring in the background. Don't do not do it with our well, prior knowledge of the football club. Don't do it in this slapstick manner that has become sort of his, you know, his bit with Everton now. I think it's just something we all sort of expected. So I think it's, it's not done him any good whatsoever. And if anything, I imagine it's only stoked up feelings of, of anxiety um, and emboldened those people who are looking to process at the weekend. And maybe even people who might have been on the fence about this and thinking of, of giving the club the benefits of the doubt might have might have heard that and thought, oh my word, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, Gav, there were obviously parallels with what happened with um, Vita Pereira with his live phone call to Sky Sports. Last January, when um, he was in the running for the Everton job for um, Lampard, was appointed. I think it's, it's, it's the manner as much as anything, as well as what Mr. Mashiri said, which, which we'll obviously come to. As Matt said there, then you couldn't make it up really. Another one bites the dust playing in, in the background, the juxtaposition of that. This is somebody who's not attended a game for 14 months and we're wondering just, just where is he? I mean, we could say he could speak to the Echo, but we're ob- we're obvious we're not the only show in town. There are, there are um, establishments like the the Athletic and national newspapers like the the broadsheets like the Times, maybe BBC Television, where he could have possibly had a, a, a sit-down interview. But again, it's returning to his old mate Jim White, who he's actually spoken about at a club AGM, I think, believe, back in 2018. He said, Jim rings me up late at night. I don't know who it is. I think it's Bill. I answer the phone and these conversations come out. And yet here he is again um, speaking to him in this manner. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't add to that, can you? Really, maybe you should come on this podcast. Well, wow. um, to be to be fair, yeah, I mean, it's just maybe Jim might just like his music taste as well, Chris. Yeah. All the old hits, yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking, you know, dare I say, if you get beat tomorrow, you know, the opening line of any press course on Sunday is going to be another one bites the dust and playing in the background on Farhad's, and you know, that's that's your opening line, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's. Same old, same old. It's just, I, I just think it just causes that. You, you spoke about this before, and I think you're right, is that we, 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 as Evertonians, and this is for many years going back 50, 60, we have a very haughty attitude, don't we? I think, you know, I was exemplified by, you know, we can't employ Sam Allardyce, Ever can't employ him, when in fact he's the only manager out of the last six or seven we've employed who's actually done, done the job he was expected to do. And we've always looked down upon like that West Ham and Newcastle, Sunderland. I, I think the p- more relevant parallels are probably Leeds United 2002. Uh, to be fair, we'd be massively overspent and paid for it. 
Um, and we looked down and then, and it okay, never happened at Everton. And when it happens to us, it makes it even worse, I suppose, because we, we, we like to think, but above all that, you know, we've been relatively stable club for 120 years, or whatever, 120, you know, 140 years, whatever it is, 120. And I think that, that, that sort of made it worse, hasn't it? Really, is that it's the reputational damage to the club that Farhad is doing by pulling six out like that at a time when we're looking for investment for the new stadium as well. And it, it doesn't do anybody any favours, least of all him as an individual, but the club in general. And that's what I'm concerned about, really. It's the reputational damage to the club where you know people are looking at us and probably having a little bit of a snigger. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Marty, his final um, point was obviously about the, um, the club's board, which obviously he, he isn't a member, but... He pointed out, unlike the, unlike himself, they, they they attend matches in all conditions, and, and they're they're local. But I, I would imagine that a lot of these um, supporters who are not satisfied with the way Everton are being running think you need a bit more than that to uh, to be um, on on the board at Everton. That those two factors on their own aren't necessarily prerequisites for for a job of that capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just just quickly going back to the headline, right? As Gav said as well, uh, with the first song being "Either Tiger," I suppose if Everton win at the weekend, there'll be a lot of Survivor, won't there, lad? Uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this has got legs. This one, Matt. This has got legs. Maybe he's thought this up. Maybe actually he's trying to just you know make uh, Chris and Joe and Connor's jobs easier by giving them nice little intros for, for the for the yeah, 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 yeah. Actually it, helping us, yeah. Yeah, but but you know what? You, you're, you're absolutely right. And if, if the if the brief for Everton and being on the Everton board is being local and attending all the games, then you know there's there's a large portion of Goodison Park that, that yeah. could do that do that role. And and listen, I'm I'm sure there are people at the football club who who are local and who have got experience and and do do a good job. But I don't really think that's the the line that people are looking for at the moment. So I think if, if you're going to talk about people at the highest level of the football club and why they are doing the job and why they are staying in the job at a time when the club has been in a bit of a, a spiral and, and what increasingly appears to be turn of the client. Tell us what their expertise is. Tell tell us about the good things that, that they do. Tell us about the good things that they're going to do in the future. I think throwing out lines like that is a little bit, maybe maybe insulting is too strong, but it just feels like it's trying to placate people um, ahead of what could potentially be a, a bit of a, a ropey and a bit of a you know a high pressure day for Farhad Mashiri at the weekend. So I can, I can certainly understand the anger that, that, that people had with that. Um, absolutely, and I think that the other thing when it, when I you know when I saw that he was going on talk sports, and when I was listening to the interview, it just it just took me back to the times when he's been on before Rafael Benitez was sacked, and before Ronald Koeman was sacked, and on both occasions he said Ronald Koeman's not going to get sacked, and Rafael Benitez is not going to get sacked. So you've got this you've got this weird juxtaposition um, again, where 
you are probably seeing in these calls the real Farhad Mashiri and the most authentic version of Farhad Mashiri. But on the same breath, you can't really put too much stock in what he's saying because he's shown in the past that he's very, very willing and very quick to go back on his word if things go wrong. So as much as he came out and has backed Frank Lampard emphatically and thinks he's going to get it right, um, if Everton lost on Saturday, would anybody really be surprised if, if he pulled the trigger on him? No, because the evidence is there that he's, he's gone back on his word in the past. So it's really hard to know what to take from these things um, that he does with, with, with the talk sport. Um, other than it just makes you feel a little bit embarrassed by the way in which it's all being conducted, really. Yeah. Gav, it's interesting what Matt says there about the, the backing for the, the manager. I mean, the the owner says that he has a, a lot of faith in him and that, that, that Frank will, will, will get it right. But I thought it was rather telling the, the comments that he made about previous appointments and certainly pre- previous sackings where he, he claimed to have been uh, led by the, the fan base in, in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's a tendency on this is to, you know, dissect every line that's been said in an interview, and you know, if you want to twist it, and I didn't have a problem with that. I think, no. I think, I think, seventy five percent. Use the old eighty twenty. The eighty percent of seconds start off by, you know, unrest inside the ground by fans. Some of the stuff we've seen, chairman's also not happy ends up sacking them. And that's happened in ever managers before Farhad K. Walter Smith would be one, you know, um, for the start, I would, I would I'd put in there, you know, uh, I think, you know, and, and I think like in lots of clubs, that just happens all, all the time, doesn't it? I mean, going back to this, I remember Gordon Lee getting sacked, um, Billy Bingham getting sacked, um, you know, when they're being processed against, I think it was QPR, you know, so most, most Colin Harvey was sort of in that in that sort of group as well. It's it's it, you know players don't perform, team starts losing games, fan gets unhappy, team wants to change. Yeah, yeah. But what what it's very rare, far rarer is fans are made up. Team teams playing badly, fans are made up. Team sacks the uh, the manager. It's just it, it's just a long. It's, it's just a you know a common thread in football. So I don't really have a comment. What you're saying, you could have phrased it slightly differently, mm. perhaps in the context. But I, I didn't. You know, with general logic there, I think is is played out with football all the time. Yeah. Do you think? Sorry, you're staying with you, Gav, for a second. That that it does put him in, in a, a difficult position if if Everton aren't if Everton are, are beaten this weekend, or is it just? Well, he's shown his faith now he, he, that Lampard is safe for now, I guess. I, don't, I really don't know. I wouldn't like to sit and guess, Mr. Machiri. I tell you what, if you went through football history and, and looked at every vote of confidence that every chairman's given their manager and then did an average of how long that manager lasted afterwards, yeah. I think you'd probably be talking two weeks, would be my guess. Yeah. It's, 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 again, it's just one of the old legends of football, isn't it? It happens all the time. It's... You know, and, and that's the thing is, is in some respects, their father does not behave in any differently to most chairman of every football club ever. Mm-hmm. You know, and and and, and so, so there's lots of things to give him stick for. You know, the medium and the, and, and some of the stuff he said on, on on you know on talk sport, but some of those bits are just what chairman say. You know, and I think. Um, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have a problem with any, any of them really, to be honest with you. 
Frank might have done, to be fair. But uh, I didn't have a problem with them, to be fair. I mean, we'll move on. But finally, Matt, on, on the actual interview itself, uh, one thing that I found startling was, uh, given that Mr. Mashiri, of course, by trade, um, is an accountant as well, is that the, the fact that he has now described a new stadium as a £760 million stadium. Um, our business of football reporter, Dave Powell, quickly got on, on the phone to club officials and tried to straighten that one out. And that their understanding is that would include all sort of preliminary costs that came before the actual build itself. And I know that the club, you know, like we, as we said on this podcast, actually very proud of the progress with the stadium compared to the, the on-field um, decline. And they were particularly satisfied about a, a deal they'd struck to lock in costs um, last year. But it was it was startling that um, yeah, basically a figure here is being quoted is 50% above the, the, the figure that has long been quoted by the club for the new stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we said in we earlier, I imagine the people at the live builds of Finch Farm, they, they cringed a little bit when they, they yeah. heard the farm she was going on talk sports. And I imagine there would have been people in the stadium who were involved in the stadium um, building and all that. Um, they're trying to keep these things under wrap. They did yeah. a huge collective cringe when, when that came out as well. And, and, you know, you're right, you know, finances and, and stuff around that isn't really my forte. So I'm not going to comment on it too much, but Dave Powell's yeah. done it. A great piece sort of explaining that um just just very quickly wanted to, to go back to the stuff about machinery and being being led by the fans and i, I do agree yeah. with what gav said but i think in the same breath that's one of the things that we all know but you don't need to come out and really say it at a time when yeah. fans are kind of on your case anyway they're starting to get on your back and things that are getting a little bit toxic you know it, it was it, you know it was almost a little bit like you know what what lampard did after that that wolves game where it's sort of like you know, even if you think that the fans were a bit edgy and contributed to that goal going in at the end a little bit, don't e- don't even hint at it after the game. That yes. there's no need. We all know that, and it just it just stokes things a little bit more. But what what, what again, sort of looking at, at that interview and, and maybe what we would have liked to hear from him. What 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 I would have liked to hear from him is going well. Maybe I've been influenced by the wrong people in the past in my managerial choices. Now I'm going to listen to the director of the football who's been brought into this football club to direct the football in regards to appointments and in regards to, to keeping managers. That's that's the sort of thing that you want to hear from Farad Mashiri, but it, it doesn't feel like he's he's necessarily... I remember when he first came into the football club and he, he went on TalkSport again and he openly admitted that Everton had thrown, was it 60 million at Napoli for, for Cardu Koulibaly? You know, talking about the right. the intricate details of a, of a huge potential financial operation and everyone sort of went oh, i'm not sure we should be really d- disclosing that on a, on a national yeah. radio station and here we are five six years later and he's doing exactly the same thing with, with a stadium so it, it just doesn't feel like he's really made any progress from, from that point of view at all yeah i mean just just to pick up i'm probably just want to move on it it's it's learning for me mistakes isn't it in the past and previous experiences and this is quite something something that machinery for all as well in this particular skill, like communication, he's incapable of learning from his previous mistakes, is he? You know, and that's the thing. I mean, but you know, if you'd have, if you'd have been properly brief, briefed in front in before, you know, a official interview, the other side stay clear of stadium costs. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention it, you know. But it, it just it just adds again this thing about the complete disconnect. When what I said at the start is. The one the one thing he's trying to preach is unity, but at the same time, completely leaving his you know stage and project team, commercial team, and board scratching their heads because he's going around 
giving stuff out that I presume's got a bit of a commercial in confidence feel to it, to be fair. Um, moving on, Gav, um, to today's press conference, um, uh, an altogether uh, more set-piece kind of uh, media exchange for, for, for Frank Lampard, um, ahead of the Southampton game. I mean, Frank has always sort of tried to play down the importance of, of, of individual fixtures, but I think there's no getting away of the huge magnitude of, of the importance of, of, of this weekend's game, and he kind of alluded to that. Um, himself, given that he must be under a huge amount of pressure at the, at the moment, regardless of what the owner said. Um, what did you make of, of Frank Lampard today and the, the, the way he, he, um, he answered the, the, those questions on, on, on numerous issues? Um, overall, impression is Frank is like, I think by and large, he can be a bit spiky on occasions, like all managers, but I thought he showed his experience of being a, you know, an 80 odd cap international playing for Chelsea for eight years in the Champions League, high pressure. Thought yeah. he, he, he he sort of that was reflected in his, his press conference. I thought as ever he was intelligent and and articulate and he answered the questions pretty pretty well. I think the one perhaps where I think was picked up on was the the question about standing still, you know, about yeah staying in the game. Um that obviously led to for some further questions, which he had to try and explain himself out of. But overall, of course, he was he was fine. He, he, again, he's trying to go back to saying before he's trying to disassociate him from himself from Farhad sort of messages of confidence, isn't he? Really, I think yeah. that, that's quite an interesting dynamic in the in the manager team and relationship. But I thought overall he was. Um, he was intelligent and articulate, and I think he has ever represented himself well. Yeah, Matt, just going to that gap, that point that Gav makes, uh, he, he's sort of tried to create this narrative that he came into the club in a relegation battle, and then it very much remains that. But if we're going to scrutinize his record, his points per game have gone down. Are you concerned in any way that Lampard is trying to frame this in a, in a certain way and sort of um, to protect his own reputation? I mean, I think that's something that, that every manager does, doesn't it? Yeah. And you, can, you know, and you can go back to the game, you know, the one, the, the first time I remember really thinking that he was trying to do something like that was after the, the 4-0 at Crystal Palace where he had that very frank um <laughs> interview after the game where he said, you know, the players need to effectively show more bottle um, and that there are going to be a lot of harsh talks about it. And that sort of felt like a bit of a turning point from that point of view. And, you know, I, I remember the points from the David Moyes when he, when he was doing the same thing, it, it's yeah. as, as much as, as much as they're in it together. And, you know, I, I don't question Frank Lampard's loyalty or, or anything to Everton. Managers are always thinking about self-preservation as well and, and, and the next job. And I'm sure if, you know, save Everton were to, to lose at the weekend and, and he wants to get sacked when he comes to his next interview, his next job, he'll go, well, look at the, the circumstances with the owner and the fans yeah. protesting against the board and having to sell your best player and not being replaced. And it is it is all about that um, to a certain degree. So I'm, I'm not really surprised, but, you know, in the same breath, I think he dealt with the, the press conference well. It's, it's very difficult, isn't it, when there is that that level of animosity um, from the fans when there's people directing criticism at, at the higher-ups um, if Farhad Mashiri, who are effectively his bosses, because he's going to be asked questions about it, but he's not going to come out and slag his bosses off, which will make some fans 
unhappy. Um, he's not going to come out and slag the fans off either for what they're doing. So you, you've got to pitch it right. And I think he got the, the balance pretty much spot on today. But but like like Gab said, he's he's someone who's been around the block a lot now. He he knows what the score is. He's he's been media, media trained for for a long long time. So not not hugely surprised. And he uh, dealt with it all with a pretty straight path. Yeah. Um, Gav, one thing he was predictably asked about, given that we're almost halfway through January now, was uh, the, the lack of um, signings. Uh, he, he did point out that it, it was something that they, they did need. Um, he's, he's not sort of sugarcoated that that from, from the start, that uh, reinforcements in the attacking areas are, are required. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he said he was quite happy with some of the signings he made in, in the summer and Probably alludes some of the bits from last January. But yeah, I mean, I think he said there was a question asked, and I think it, it, there's a lot, a lot of difficulty in the January transfer window. He mentioned the World Cup a little bit, didn't he? Um, but it's, it's, there's still a couple of weeks left. You get you get the impression that there's a lot of things got to fall into place before signs being made. I think the worrying thing for me is like all this other clubs have made signs, haven't they, and sent them? And, and we haven't, and, and that's the concern at this moment in time for me, that we've got a couple of... It would have been nice for these couple of crucial games to have a couple of people through the door. Yeah. But that looks so like it's not going to happen. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Matt, in in terms of that, uh, just... How concerned are you? I mean, Mashiri talked in recent times about the mistakes made in the past and they haven't always spent um, money wisely. But you could actually say there's an argument that, you know, if you were going to splash the cash as much as you can do, um, this would be the, the window to do it with in, in such a precarious position. I mean, the two main strikers, just one goal apiece all season. Yeah, well, in an ideal world, I think that's absolutely what you, you will do, but... You know, as I've, as I've heard Gav speak so eloquently about on this podcast so much in the past, it's whether Everton can can afford to do it. Yeah. And if they, they are to do it in this window, um, what would that mean for the summer? Um, you know, if Everton went out and, you know, I'll go back to the example I think he used last week. If Everton went out and, and pledged to spend £40 million on Mateus Cunha in, in the summer um, after, you know, having an obligation to buy him after a loan deal like Wolves have done, then I think a lot of people be, would be raising eyebrows. And then all of a yeah. sudden, if he comes in, doesn't do well. Everton potentially get relegated. You, you, you're lobbied of paying £40 million for a, for a lad who might not fit. So the club's just not in a, a position to take those gambles anymore. And I think as well, what we're seeing in, in this window for me, and, you know, obviously sort of looking at, um, you know, the likes of Cunha and uh, Dan Juma, another one who I know we've been linked with, who looks like he might be heading uh, back to Bournemouth again now, yeah. is that... I think a lot of people are starting to come to terms with the fact that Everton have fallen down the food chain a little bit as well now. I don't think people see us anymore. You know, go back to the days when we got players like Stephen P and R in on loan in, in, in January, you know, Mikel Arteta, you know, we got players in from from clubs who were who were doing well 
um, who wanted to come in and push for for challenge for European football. Um, what we are now is, is a team that, that are right down the bottom. I imagine players will look at the situation going on with the, the owner and the board and the fans and, and, and wonder about going there as well. And I think that the pool of, of players that become available to you then shrinks as well. And, and all of a sudden, you've got so many teams you can go and offer a bit more money to us who maybe are a bit higher up in the league. Um, and and that's, that, that's a massive issue. And I, I, I understand the frustration um, of... A lot of people who would say, well, Everton have had months and months to prepare for this. And I, I do agree to, to some extent. But if you're absolutely skint and you, you've only got a few players you can realistically go after, and then somebody else comes in and says, well, we're higher up in the league and we give you more money, you know, what, what can the club do? Um, and I'm not letting the club off scot free by any means there because it is mismanagement um, at many different levels that have led to them being in this position. But Everton, have, 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 when they were spending money, like like they could um, when they were spending spending money unwisely. Um, I think we all said at those points, you know, there's going to come a, a point in the future where Everton are going to pay the price for this. There is going to be a consequence to all this, and and we're living through it now. This this is the consequence for it all, and it's just whether you can put something together towards the end of the window, maybe a loan deal or, or two here and there. But um, it's looking increasingly difficult, isn't it? And like I said, the, the pool of players available that are going to be cheap, that are going to come in and make a real difference to this team is looks very, very small. Yeah. Gab, obviously, as Matt said, finances will play a considerable part in this, but I, I guess we've got to look at this, how Everton would appear to um, pot- potential signings from the outside. Um, someone like yourself is fortunate enough to, um, to have watched Everton be uh, the best team in the land on more than one occasion. Well, if you're looking at the age of these players now, um, most of them would be too young to remember the last time and won a trophy. And some of the an increasingly number weren't even born then. Just how much of a, 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 a pull is Everton or, or, or not? Now, if we, uh, it's only reports and I suppose it's a fluid situation, but talk of losing out to potential targets to cl- clubs like Bournemouth who are in and around them and sort of teams who don't have any sort of pedigree at all in that respect. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it means anything. I mean, what's the two things you, you when you when you're looking at joining a club? What's the two things you'll ask if you're a player? How much are you going to pay me? And what what's my position? Yeah, what's my role going to be when when I'm in the team? Well, actually, if you're one of the better players, you tell the club this is what I want my position to be. So all that stuff about history and you know even going forward into like Bramley, you know Bramley Moore and stuff. It's it's those two things, and that's always been the case. I also believe that you know the, the reputational damage we were talking about before doesn't help. Also, the fact that we're near the bottom doesn't help. I'd like to think that maybe people would would want to work with Frank Lampard as as a, as a manager and as some of his coaching team. But ultimately, it's those two things, and I'm just wondering whether I know it's worst case scenario whether the fact that we're near the bottom of the table is influencing maybe some of our our decisions in the January transfer window, would, would we be looking looking to be a bit more positive if we were further up the, further up the table and our, our, our position next year was secure in the Premier League? Yeah. Uh, Matt, one of the things Frank said in the press conference was how it was his job to not be distracted by um, the noise from outside, both in terms of um, he welcomed the potential... Um, Coach greeting before the game, but he was well aware of the, the planned protests afterwards, but said it was the job of him and his players to um, to fil- filter that out. But um, human nature being 
as it is, do you think that's a, that's an impossibility? Just what sort of an impact do you think the the, the fan events at the weekend could, could actually play in terms of the fixture? Well, I think it's the, the start of it could could have a really positive effect on it, yeah. and I think the way in which this has been organised is you know Everton aren't in an ideal situation, but for me looking at it, it's about as as well as you could you could sort it really. You know, before the game, there's going to be an amazing welcome for the players. Everybody's going to be behind them. Everybody be bouncing into that ground. Um, I imagine there'll be banners and stuff um, in support of the team before the game, as there have been for, for a lot of times in recent recent months. And everyone will, will get behind the, the lads and, and Frank when, when the game kicks off. Of, of course, if we have a situation like Brighton where we're 4-0 down after 55 minutes, things will probably turn as they will do at, at any point in, in Everton's history. But I, I get the sense that you'll be able to, to hopefully get the players to tap into the positivity before the game. Um, certainly, and then whatever happens after the match is, is not really anything to, to do with the players. You know, I, I imagine they'll be all in the dressing room. Then they might see a little bit of it when they walk across the pitch at the end um, to the cars to get off. But it's not really going to impact the, the players, I don't think, at all. So um, it's just about whether you, you can get the players to, to channel that, that energy. And, and listen, look back to last year. Um, we had one player in particular in Richarlison who you felt really pride in those sort of. Um, firecracker atmospheres and then came alive and really relished it. It's just whether the players at the moment um, will be able to do the same. Are, are the players in there that will be emboldened um, and will perform better um, you know, before a, a real white-hot atmosphere at Goodison? Or have we got lads in that squad now who maybe might shrink a little bit under the pressure? And, and that's going to be really interesting to see for me. Obviously, there's loads of different characters and loads of different personalities in there, but I think you need a couple of lads who really feed off it and really drag the team forward, like Richardson did last year. Um, if they don't, um, then it then it could turn very quickly. But again, that, that's the situation the club have found themselves in, unfortunately. Yeah. Gav, how much of a factor do you think it would be? I guess it's the, the old chicken and egg, isn't it? Is it like what comes first? I mean, you do need some inspiration from the players on the field, and that's been a thing in recent times. Is the atmosphere has been flat at Goodison because it's just been so little to, to hang on to from what the, the players have, have given the fans? Yeah, I think I think the first goal tomorrow is crucial, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely crucial. You know, if Southampton score, especially if it's, you know, even, even early on, you know, you wouldn't want to see the same reaction from the crowd and the players that we saw against Brighton. Yeah. Alternatively, a first goal for Everton and some of the stuff that you're talking about there, Chris, is, you know, that could raise us, raise our levels a bit. Yeah. It's just, it's just, just perhaps no coincidence. How many games we've had since the World Cup? Is it four? Well, there was... Um, we've four now, yeah. This will yeah, be off we've, we've had two decent situation performances against strong opposition yeah. and two poor performances at home against more moderate opposition. And I'm just wondering whether there's a link there, to be honest with you. Well, you, you think that, that it's almost like the the Everton players are, are shrinking under the, under the pressure at Goodison? Well, I mean, I think Frank himself spoke about it, didn't he, after the Wolves game? Um, perhaps that that, 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 that that pressure in front of home crowd when you're not winning, as you were against Wolves late on and against Brighton, I think that might get to you. Um, and I think so. That tomorrow I'm saying that the the first goal is absolutely crucial. 
you know, we don't want to see another Southampton at the bottom of the table, but we Wolves at the bottom of the table. So they're coming off the back of a couple of wins in the FA Cup and League Cup. Um, it could be messy if they score first. So it's absolutely vital that we get the first goal tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Matt, just what sort of game are you expecting? As, as we said, Southampton are bottom of the table, but they've had a, a couple of um, cup wins in, in this last week, including an, a huge one over, over, over Manchester City the other night. So they will be coming in a, a bit of increased confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just something that Gav said there, I think it's really interesting. It can't be often, Gav, that we played team bottom of the table twice in three home games. You know, that, that can't have happened very, very much in, in our future. Yeah, so. no. I've very much doubt it. I mean, yeah, there I say lost one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not it's not. I mean, this is this is the problem. I think the most sobering aspect of Frank's press conference today for me about our position was that he referred to Southampton as our competitor and their bottom of the table. Yeah, um, but yeah, just on on the game. Um, after a bit of a, a ropey Everton day on Wednesday, I thought, you know what, I'm going to tune in and watch Southampton versus Man City and. And hopefully see our opponents at the weekend get legged everywhere, get run ragged, get, you know, get the confidence pounded into the ground a little bit more by by Erling Haaland and his mates. And obviously it didn't uh, didn't transpire like that. They looked they looked pretty handy um, yeah. by all accounts. Um, what what I will say though is that speaking to um, some Southampton fans this week, um, I know they've won two in a row, but apparently they were very very fortunate at Palace and didn't play well at all. I think the the goals were a. Uh, an overhit free kick and um, Adam Armstrong charging down the goalkeeper who's trying to clear it and, it and it just bounced in. So I don't think they played very well in, in the last away game. What happened on Wednesday, I imagine, would have taken a, a lot out of them. Um, and they've got an absolutely terrible record at Goodison, haven't they? They haven't, they haven't won at Goodison Park since 1997 when Kevin Davis, uh, the big target man, lumbered through about four or five Everton players and, and slotted one in at the... Uh, you do remember that, unfortunately. At yeah. the park end, yeah. I remember that game, unfortunately, as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be tight, isn't it? And I think that's that that feels like Everton's best way. Um, and I know Lampard today sort of hinted in his press conference that he might go a bit more attacking again, which I don't know if he really can afford to do after what happened against Brighton, albeit Southampton are not as good a team as Brighton. But I think Everton have just got to try and make it a really tight game and then hope that one of our, our game changers in Damari Gray or, or Dominic Calvert-Lewin or, or someone from a set-piece steps up. But I don't really think this is a team that is prepared to be playing open, expansive football at the moment. I, I'm, not really, I'm not really sure Goodison Park is a crowd that would, would sit there and, and be happy to watch us knock it round the back um, like, we've, like we did against that Crystal Palace in that one game. It feels like it's got to be nasty. It's got to be tight. It's got to be a bit of an ugly spectacle. We've just got to hope that, that one of our lads stands up and produces for us. Um, so I'm expecting a, a really tight game and, and hopefully the, the fact that Southampton played in midweek and that would have taken a lot out of them will, will just give us the edge. Yeah. Uh, Gav, when um, Lampard was asked about the, the formations and the, and the three at the back, he suggested it could be a different sort of challenge at, at home against Southampton. I mean, per personally, would, would you retain um, the free centre-back system, which has um, served them well at Manchester City and then to a degree at Manchester United as well? Not sure. Three at the back against the bottom of the table team works. I mean, I'd, I'd play four at the back. I was. I think some of our position, our line tomorrow depends whether the Wolves available, isn't it? Really. Which is interesting. Um, that he suggested he might yeah, be. Yeah. He might be. I mean, if he isn't, I mean, possibly a favourite. Um, line up for me would be four, two, three, one with an honour and Guy Holden and a three behind. Say, hopefully, Carvalho and Smith Frank can miss at that. 
you know, of, of Gordon McNeil, Gray, perhaps. Yeah. About yourself, um, Matt? Would you? Yeah, go I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't go with the four. And I think that the, 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 the main reason why is I look at three of the likely four lads that are going to be starting at the back in Tarkovsky, Cody and Coleman. And we haven't really got much there in terms of legs. And I think that 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 side, the right-hand side where Cody plays and Coleman plays, is rife for someone to to target it. And I think it'd be very easy to get at us down that side. And I mean, I think the other thing as well is that you can if you start with a you know a five-four-one or a three-four-three or whatever, I think it just gives you that that little bit more flexibility. You know, when you go four-three-three, you can't really go to a back five then, can you? If you're struggling because you know it's just it's just not the dumb thing. Managers don't do it. But I think if if you get if you bet get Ben Godfrey in there, you play a back three. If things aren't going particularly well, as we saw at the end of Old Trafford there, you can maybe bring Gordon on to play as a wing-back or a McNeil to play as a wing-back. I just think Godfrey just gives you that little bit of extra recovery pace as well. And and the mid, I don't think the midfield's working quite well enough either. I think that needs a bit of protection. And I think probably most crucially of all for me is that playing Damari Gray off a, a centre-forward central and giving him that freedom, I think really brings out the best of him. I think we've seen him play really well at Manchester City. He was excellent in the same role at Manchester United. And he looks like our, our best spark going forward at the moment. So I'd, I'd stick with the the three five two, um, And then if we need to change it, I think we've got a bit more scope to do so. Yeah. Well, it's predictions time. Um, eerily similar to, to the same weekend last season, actually, unfortunately, when uh, Norwich City had lost six on the bounce. And then uh, defeated Everton, despite being bottom of the table. I don't think they'd scored a goal in the Premier League since November at the time. And oh, then, you had to say it, Bees, didn't you? You just had yeah, to say it. <laughs> I was down there at Carroll Road with Phil Kirkbride, as it was at the time. Uh, yeah, and uh, within you know 24 hours, Mr Benitez uh, was, was out of the job. But I will be positive. It, it, I think other than a game like Crystal Palace, where you literally have to win to stay in the division, I think this is as much as a must-win for Everton as it's been for a long time and I will go 1-0 Everton. Um, Gav, your thoughts? I think, it's a, I think it has a similar feel to me to the Newcastle game last year. Yeah. Um, and on that basis, I'm going to go with the same score, 1-0 to Everton. So we've had a couple of 1-0s there. Uh, Matt, are you going to... Uh, any increase on that? Well... I don't know if you saw, I put on Twitter before that I had a dream last night. Okay, no, uh, I didn't. Uh, I had a dream last night that Everton won 4-3. carefully on the content. Yeah, they, they won 4-3. And um, bizarrely, this is my subconscious obviously screaming out at me. Uh, Tim Cale and Apostolos Velios scored late goals for us at the park end to turn it round. Um, and obviously, those lads wow. won't be in the squad unless they get registered by lunchtime today. Um, so I'll go for the, the modern-day talisman. Um, in Dominic Carvert-Lewin and maybe the modern day Velios, a young striker coming through. Um, people are still yet to make their mind up in, in Ella Sims. But, um, so I'll go 4 free Everton with Sims and Carvert-Lewin scoring late goals at the park end. Wow, staying true to the 4-3 yeah. scoreline. Wow. I'm loving that 4-3 scoreline because if you just hang on a minute, we beat Southampton 4-3 at the down. On, on the 16th of March, 1991. So there you go. There's a there's a precedent precedent there. You heard it here first on the Royal Blue podcast. Um, we've ended at, somehow we've ended on a, on a high note after all that um, heartache. Um, yeah, we'll be back with you, no doubt, to pick the bones out of um, that one uh, next week. Um, regardless of um, how it goes, it's obviously going to be a big result 
either way. But this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Matt Jones and Gavin Buckland. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.